Hey everyone, and welcome to Stand By Go, the theater podcast out of Asheville, North Carolina. Although today I am recording from my hometown, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and I have a very special guest, Katie here. Hi. Hey. So usually I um, introduce the person that I have and, and tell people how we got connected, and um, <laughs> you ha- have the award of knowing me the longest. Because you have known me, you have known me for thirty-two, almost thirty-three years. His whole entire life, entire life. And no offense to everybody I've recorded in the past, but this is my favorite guest because this is my sister. Aww. um, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a while, but I, I've always told myself I would only do it if we could do it in person. So, very good. And I started this in January, and it took me till October to get home. (laughs) Because of the COVID. Yeah, yeah, because of the pandemic that's going on. Um, So before we actually jump into this, I was on a podcast. Um, I can't remember the name of it. I will put it up on the thing on the video um, when I look it up later. But uh, we were just talking about stage management and kind of how I got into theater. And I realized... Um, and they pointed out that you are the reason why I'm still doing theater. Um, as most people know my story, I started acting when I was in fourth grade. Uh, but then in middle school, it was too cool for school to do theater. And you were stage managing at Cape Fear Regional and needed a backstage person. And I wasn't in school. <laughs> and I was like, sure, it's fine. And so I went back and I did Smokey Joe's Cafe, uh, pushed around a bandstand, uh, messed with Rick Starling for a while. And um, <laughs> the rest is history, really. I've been doing tech theater and stage management ever since. So I guess whatever success I have from here on out, I can thank you for getting me into it. So Awesome. Always happy to introduce somebody else into the industry. So, uh, so yeah, why don't we just start the way we always start these podcasts and kind of give us your theater journey and how you got into it and kind of where you are right now. Okay. Um, my theater journey goes back a whole lot of years. Um, I was five years old when our parents, um, did Fiddler on the Roof at Sampson Community Theater in Sampson County, North Carolina. And, um, at that age, I was, I I was five, our sister was seven. And when you have a five and a seven year old, you take them with you everywhere you go. So when they were in the show, we were in the show. (laughs) And, uh, Angela, our sister was one of Tevi was Tevi's youngest daughter. And I was a little girl in the village. Third girl from the left is always my favorite role. Um, and, it was just, it was the most fun. And I, even though I was so young, I still have a lot of memories from that. The next year, um, ish, I think, I don't know, the timeline's sketchy. We were in Annie, similar setup. All four of us were there. This was all before John came along. Um, and Annie, I was, I played Molly. So it was my first named role. And, uh, Molly is the littlest orphan and kind of the one that, Annie watches out for and takes care of. And um, I was the youngest one in the cast, I'm pretty sure. So I got lots of attention, which I hated. (laughs) 
I loved it. It was the best. Um, and that I think was really where I said, Hey, this being on stage thing is pretty, pretty cool. I went a while without being on stage other than small things with church, um, choir skits, dance adjacent stuff. Um, and it's it still enjoyed being on stage, even though it wasn't a play per se. And then in high school, um, did a couple of shows at in this in school. One at uh, Cape Fear Regional Theater was in Carousel. And when I started college, I knew that theater was a possible path for me. And I went to Mars Hill College. It's a university now, but to me, I went to Mars Hill College. Sorry, <laughs> it's the same school, just different, a little different branding. But um, and I that first semester, I kind of dipped my toe in the water with the theater program. And that was it. That's where I fell in love. Um, that's where I really found my my voice and my identity on the stage. Um, it's where I started exploring things besides acting. I had never done anything other than, you know, helping paint some sets and things like that in high school. Um, but I stage managed for the first time. I did props for the first time. I did costumes for the first and only time. Um, I'm a disaster with a sewing machine. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't even. I don't even go close to that. Yeah, give me a give me a drill or a saw. I'm good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't really sewing machine. Not so much. <laughs> I haven't. I've done. I've done everything tech wise except for costumes. Yeah, I was when I was assigned to work in the costume shop at Mars Hill, um, which I was a few times and I was the dresser for a show, but anytime I was, I was in charge of, um, doing anything with storage, pulling, stocking, um, you know, putting things back, basically the, op the opposite of pulling, <laughs> pushing costumes <laughs> and ironing. I was the iron, iron girl. Um, but other than that, it was like, do not put me anywhere near a needle and thread. Um, cause it will take forever and it won't be very good. So um, my wheelhouse was was props, stage managing, um, the stage itself being on stage, of course, I, I still loved and, and did as often as I could. Um, lights, love doing lights, love playing around with lights. Um, and after I graduated with my uh, BA in theater, I Got a job stage managing at Cape Fear Regional Theater. I stage managed the 0102 season, which was the, and Smokey Joe's Cafe was my first show. And we had um, someone on the crew dropped out at the last minute. And we just were desperate for somebody to help push that bandstand because it took a good solid three people to, to move that bad boy. It's a big rolling platform, but it was full of musicians. So, um, it, it took some doing. <laughs> yeah. It was the entire band. Yeah. Um, I think what seven, eight people plus their instruments anyway. Um, so, uh, John definitely came to the rescue, um, on that and, and did a couple other shows, um, during that season, um, fly. Yeah. Almost. I almost took Dirk Lombard's arm off. Was that in Music Man or was that a different show? It was Music Man. Okay, okay. I knew it happened, but for some reason I was thinking. I didn't work Music Man. 
No, you just came and filled in a time. I filled or two. in yeah. during a school performance of it because the fly person couldn't do school performances. Yeah. And you were telling me, you said, uh, bring in the main during curtain call. Um, and I did, and he was waving. And it came down and you were like, you were like, no, 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 no. And, and he went and he went and he went last minute. So Dirk, yeah. That's right. That's right. I so, forgot those details. So quick, so. Uh, quick little six degrees of separation. So Dirk Lombard, mm-hmm. it's not the first time we've mentioned his name on this podcast. Uh, episode three, I think, with Faith, who was our Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. She is from Rocky Mountain area, I think. And she's taken classes with Dirk and has been in, she was in Oliver with Dirk. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy, crazy small world. Small world. Love Dirk Lombard. He's just the best. And then I did your, I did BCPE with you. Um, Best Christmas pageant ever. (laughs) Um, The most loved, listen, okay. Let's talk about Best Christmas pageant. Okay. It's an hour long show. Mm -hmm. It's full of children. Uh, and you only had two casts when you did it. Right. We only had two. Now they do three casts. But the thing, the thing about it is I think our two, I think the total number of people may be about the same though. I think our two casts were both bigger than each one of the three casts that CFRT currently does, which actually they're not doing this year because they can't do it in person with that many people on stage. So they, and it would have been their 30th and they didn't want the landmark year to be a alternative format. So they said, we'll, we'll do the 30th hopefully next year. And so this year they're doing a Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah, we did. So we did um, BCPE where I was fly and spotlight. Because they only had like one, they had like two fly calls in the whole thing. And I remember running from the fly, just two stories up, all the way down through the lobby. And one night, and one school performance, I just ate it. I just like, boom, right in the middle of the lobby. Luckily, there wasn't a line of students waiting for the next. Because sometimes there were. The only person who saw me was the guy, I can't remember his name, the guy who played the dad. Um, I, I, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name. Yeah. yeah, and he was uh, a judge. <laughs> yeah, and he he saw me, and he was like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "Yeah, but I gotta go." And I also remember, um, I'm not the best spotlight operator, uh-huh. and at least I wasn't for this show. <clears throat> See if you remember this. Beginning of the show, the like the opening sequence, people going crazy, and then they all leave, and it's a full black stage with just Beth, which was one of the twins right and she's like down center and I miss her by like eight feet and I don't know if that's when you were the stage manager or if it was the next year I don't know if I remember she that. was here and I hit her here and I went shoop. <laughs> that's tricky it, it is it's tricky follow spot is not rocket science but even simple things there are lots there are lots of ways to mess it up and 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 you have nothing to hide behind, especially in something like that where it's a total blackout, except for that follow spot. Yeah, there's no room for unnoticed error. It is what it is. So I my my journey doesn't end there. That was 2001, 2002. And then I did a, I did your last show. Pick honk. Yes, honk. You were on deck crew for honk. All right, continue. Um. So. And that was that was the one 
little, little fun story about honk. I think it was a school show of honk, uh, which is such a cute musical. It's such a fun show. I think it was brand new when we did it, but during intermission, I came down from the booth and I went backstage and you have to imagine the fly rail of this theater. And John, I know you know this. I'm saying this for the sake of the audience. Is about the, uh, the equivalent of three stories above the deck of the stage. And it's just a thin, maybe three feet wide strip of wood with a single railing about three and a half feet above that wood. I don't know how OSHA allowed it, to be honest with you. Um, and I look up and I see sitting... On the fly rail, the the little kids that were in the show, they were all probably like eight, nine, 10 years old. So they weren't babies, but still they were small kids and they were absolutely not supposed to be up there. And I, and they're just sitting there with their legs swinging, having fun. They waved at me. And I was like, you get down here right now. And then <laughs> I grabbed a headset because I didn't have mine on. Terry, get down here. The guy who was running the, the fly. And I ripped him a new one. <laughs> and then I laid into those kids. I, you are to sit right here. You know, you don't budge. You don't have another costume change for this show. So you are going to sit right here. I just let them have it. And now those kids, <laughs> I haven't kept up with all of them, but I've kept up with some of them. Jamie is an entertainment attorney in Nashville. The last I heard. Um, Molly has been on Broadway opposite one Bernadette Peters and Victor Garber and Victor Garber. And she was on stage with Bette Midler. Yeah. She was there right? uh, in Hello Dolly, the re the revival of Hello Dolly. Bette came back. She played, I can never remember the character's name. Who did Minnie she Faye. Yes. There we go. Thank you. Um, fantastic. And um, who else was it? It was for Adam is now a working actor very successful and mainly on the west coast los angeles um he was in the blue man group at one point um and there was a fourth one it was molly oh uh mayor madison is also a, a successful working actor she graduated from um the north carolina school of the arts so yeah i had to yell at them <laughs> i was one of their mean stage managers back in the day i knew them when <laughs> And they survived. They survived. I did not break their spirits. I did not, you know, destroy their will to live. Um, I just thought, God, Lord, if one of them fell. <laughs> yeah, my my two favorite stories from Honk. One was when I when I used to get Molly to sweep the stage for me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, I never made her. She asked what I was doing, and I told her it was fun, and she did it for three or four. Perf no, you did because you did because at one point you said, "John, why is Molly sweeping the stage? <laughs> why is why is our eight-year-old uh, little duckling sweeping the stage?" And I was like, "Cause she wanted to." She's like, "That's your job, so go do that." I'm like, "Okay." I'm so mean. I was practicing. I was practicing delegation from an early age. And my second one was also during a school was during a school performance um, where it was the quick change from the toad to like the shiny frog. And I typically didn't do that. Somebody else did, but he couldn't come to the school performance. So without practicing it, they tell me what to do because it was rip it off. He comes on stage, throw the cane. I reach up and I'm just supposed to grab the outer layer and pull. 
and I grab the second layer, and he comes flying <laughs> off the stage. I can't remember. I think his name was Scott. What yes, was it was Scott. Who, who then later played cellophane when they did Chicago. Yes. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just like literally just pulled him off the stage. Which um, is saying something because he was he was a big, he dude. Was a big dude and you were I was an eighth third yeah, I team. Was yeah. I mean and I almost threw the cane t- too far because I was like, oh I just uh, and he had to jump and grab it. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. unfortunately that's not the worst mess up story I have at Caper Regional. Um, which I'm pretty I don't know. If I haven't told it on this podcast, I probably will, where I won the uh, Golden Screw. Golden Screw. Okay. Cool. So, all right, so, so we'll pick back up with my story because it, it, it takes a pretty big turn after Honk. I um, was hired to start a theater program at uh, Reed Ross Classical School, which is a middle and high school. Although the plan was at least initially for me to teach eighth grade in high school, um, which I did for two years and then shifted to just high school. Um, And so I started my teaching career intended for it just to be kind of a filler. I've always really um, identified with Mr. Holland's opus (laughs) because his, if you're not familiar with the movie, that's your homework. Um, It's such a good movie. Um, But he's a musician who um, is newly married and needs to have a steady income to help support his family. Um, his wife's also an artist. So he's like, I'll be the source of reliable income. I'll go get a job teaching music and that'll give me plenty of time to work on my own stuff. (laughs) Um, and then he winds up having this full teaching career and being just amazing. And anyway, um, so, what was only supposed to be a year, maybe two, um, that was 18 years ago and I'm still teaching. So, uh, clearly I found my niche. I found my, my calling, my path, my passion, however you want to want to call it. Um, because I, I found myself after probably a year or two constantly thinking, next year I want to do this next year. I want to make this change next year. I want to do this show. And so really making long-term plans, um, for the program, for my teaching, for, um, all of that. I directed, um, my, the first show I directed. So the first full length show I had ever directed, I had only directed one acts when I was in college. So the first full length show I directed was our town. Were you in our town? I was. I was Swiss Army Knife. That's I played, right. You I played were, like seven different. Right, games. right, right, right. Um, so um, I was pretty sure you were, but I just wasn't a hundred percent. And then the next year, uh, we did Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I didn't know any better. Nobody <laughs> told me. Nobody Don't warned you. Start your musical theater directing career with an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that needs fifteen that males. Needs fifteen males in a high school. Just that's not a good. And it was. It, I I didn't know any better, and it worked out beautifully. And I actually I realize now how incredibly fortunate I was to be able to find that many guys who were willing to walk on stage and do things and open their mouth. Um, because I've seen other and and heard of and talked to other high school theater directors who have done that show and have wound up having to cast girls to play brothers, which I 
if I were to do it now, I'd be perfectly willing to do it. I would have done it then, but I was able to get enough guys. And because you really just need, I don't know, six maybe that are super strong singers willing to kind of cut up and, and, and dance, even if they're not, you know, hugely skilled dancers. Um, I always said, you know, willingness to be a goofball on stage is way more important than skill. Skill's great if you get it, but if I've got to choose between the two, <laughs> willingness to, to put yourself out there on the stages um, will we'll take you a long way. I can do a lot with that. I can do a lot with that. I can do simple choreography. You know, you don't have to be, you know, Fred Astaire to, to be able to be successful on stage um, as a dancer, particularly. But um, so, and John was... Which brother were you? I was Naftali. Naftali. I just remember the one more angel in heaven, brother. Yeah, but like. but it, <laughs> I did that, but I don't think it was done where you cast the brother to sing the solo. I think you just gave the solo to the actor. Right. At least for, at least for my song. I don't know if you remember this, but um, this is the only time that knowing the director as closely as um, I have like became was a good thing because I don't know if you remember that I had no voice for that audition like uh yeah I don't remember that for sure you made me show up like I couldn't talk oh I don't remember and that you, you made me show up but you know that makes sense because I remember the next year I'm not going to give you a year by year recount of all the plays I've directed but I do want to talk about these few um the next year we did your good man Charlie Brown and I remember so clearly John walking in for the audition and I was sitting next to the musical director and he sang Mr. Cellophane for his audition. And you guys, it's my brother. Of course I've heard him sing. I know what his voice sounds like, but I never heard him sing Mr. Cellophane and I never heard him hit those high notes by himself. And I just remember the the choir director's name was Kelly. And she and I just looked at each other and were like, oh my gosh. And then I was worried because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt by the time auditions were over, he was the clear choice to play Charlie Brown. Clear choice. Like nobody else was even close to that. I mean, just the vocal range. Vocal range alone, nobody else, that, that none of the guys who auditioned. I had great singers auditioning. But they just didn't, they were, they had a lower register. And Charlie Brown needs to have a high voice. It needs to be a tenor. And, and I was like, I really hope people don't think that I'm just giving it to him because he's my brother. He's clearly the right choice. And if anybody ever said it, I never heard it. So, um, I, and that's the, a big part of the reason, besides the fact that I needed somebody with musical ability and a good ear, a better ear than I have, um, in auditions. I, that's why I always insisted on having another person, particularly when I knew you were auditioning so that we could at, at very least have some, like, I'm not the only one making this call. So, um, and that was, oh gosh, that was such a great show. It's still one of my favorites. Do you, I, you don't know this because I haven't really told many people. So, you know, everything being shut down, not having done theater in, you know, in a very long time in the more traditional way you do theater. Uh, I 
was like, I want to direct. Like that's something I want to do at some point. And I was talking to, I think it was Mark Jones in the earlier episodes of this podcast. And we were just talking one day and he's like, yeah, just direct a show. Just like find a script and block it out and find out your concept and your design and blah, blah, blah. And so, and he has all these scripts. So I said, can you send me the Charlie Brown script? And he did. And I have it blocked out cool. in a script at home. I have the concept. I have how I want the set design. And I have, I think, like 75% of the show blocked out. And the only thing that, and I've watched it. There's a good video of it on YouTube. I've watched it. And I'm like, okay, don't do that. And it's like, and don't do what you did when, when you did it. But the only one where it's like, if I were to do it now with an homage to, to then is the very end with Lucy coming down, oh, looking yeah. at Charlie Brown and going, you're a good man, Charlie Brown, with the handshake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't, do you remember the, I almost said episode, um, the performance uh, where there was a squirrel the entire time? I don't know if I ever told you this. Oh, uh, yeah, I was running along the back wall of the uh, of the gym. Yeah, so we, yeah. we opened the show, which is just all of us sitting on the blocks. And they're all talking to me, but I'm just staring straight ahead. The curtain opens and I see scurrying across the top of the cinder block was the squirrel. And it stayed there until the curtain call and then scurried back after the curtain call. (laughs) That's right. I had completely forgotten about that. That is crazy. I mean, I was in high school. I graduated in 2006. So 14 years ago. 14 years ago. Um, Plus, you know, I did that as a junior. Yeah. Yeah, because the next year we did Romeo and Juliet, which was your stage managing debut. It was. Yeah, so that that I was going to get to that one next. Um, so, and he wound up, poor guy, having, because he had told me, he was like, I don't really want to be on stage this time. I don't, I don't know if it was because it was Romeo and Juliet that you it weren't interested. It was 100% interested. because it was Shakespeare. Okay, okay. Do you remember the show I wanted you to do? I don't. Footloose. Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. Because I wanted to be Ren. It was the only time in my life where I figured I could have been Ren. Mm, I was <laughs> I was pregnant and just didn't think I was up to... Yeah, she's gone. <laughs> the, the baby I was pregnant with was sitting just outside the shot there for a little bit, but we were boring her, so she left. <laughs> um, <laughs> she... Um, but I didn't think I could handle doing a... Plus, she was due about the time that I usually did the the musical. So I did it earlier in the year. And um, so I decided to do a straight show. I had gotten some some requests from the English department to do kind of a co-curricular thing with Romeo and Juliet. So it wasn't really even fully my idea to do it. Um, but, uh, and it was, the end, the end product was good. It was just an awful experience. <laughs> but anyway, um, so John stage managed that and wound up having to be on stage, but just a small part. Like you were the Duke or Juliet's dad. Yeah, I was yeah, Capulet. You're Juliet's dad. So he just sort of makes an appearance here and there. It, so it was small, and I even think you were on book. Um, but that's okay because there were a couple of people that were on book for that one. Uh, yeah. Romeo was on book for that. One. That was a that was a roller coaster of a show because we got our Capulet two weeks before we went up, and we got our Mercutio. Bernardo I went through five Bernardos before I finally no no you're right it was Mercutio it was Mercutio went through five Mercutios and it wound up being a girl it ended up being it was the Blankenship girl wasn't mm-hmm. it 
Mm-hmm. And the other fun part about that show was it was one of these things when, and, and you don't always get these moments as a director, but you will in some cases where somebody will audition and whether you can put your finger on the quality or not, you, you there's somebody who's the clear choice, clear choice. Um, and you always, even if they're the first one you watch, give everybody else a fair shake, but they're just the one. And there was a clear choice for Romeo and a clear choice for Juliet. Um, and I never regretted those choices. It was uh, Carlos Morel and Laura Peterson. And Laura is an identical twin. And her identical twin was Carlos's girlfriend at the time. And I said, I told them, like, right after I announced casting. I pulled them aside, just the two of them, Carlos and Laura. And I said, you know you're going to have to kiss, right? Like, you can't have Romeo and Juliet where Romeo and Juliet don't kiss. It's got to happen. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And I said, I don't want to cause any family strife or drama or anything like that. No, 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 no. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And the twin, the girlfriend, wound up coming in and being like a, a an extra. Like she was in the party scene and a couple of the fight scenes and things like that. So she was around. Um, but yeah. So that was a fun cast. It was a fun cast. The, it was the Charlie fun Brown cast. cast was fun. The Romeo and Juliet cast was fun. Uh, and they stayed friends. I mean, it was our senior year, but like they stayed friends until through graduation. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, Laura and Megan weren't seniors. That wasn't their last year. Oh, I, I, think they were, were, I think they were sophomores. Yeah, it was yeah. myself and Carlos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was y'all's senior year. So, um, so yeah, I, I've just, I have uh, taught and directed since then. I um, went from school to school once. Uh, I was at Reed Ross for seven years um, at Terry Sanford High School for eight years. And then um, three years ago, I transitioned to Fayetteville Technical Community College, where I'm one of two theater instructors. Um, And I teach, it rotates, it's a little different every semester, but mainly um, theater appreciation, uh, acting, voice for performance this semester. Um, it's the first time I've taught it. It's the first time it's been taught there for a while. So we're kind of seeing how that goes. So far, so good. Um, it's tricky teaching it mostly virtually. We te- meet once a week for an hour. What's, <laughs> That's not much time, but you know. What's involved in that, in that class? So the, the course objectives, the, the stuff that I'm mandated to, to cover pretty broad, mainly you know, vocal technique for actors in particular. Um, and it's voice for performance, not necessarily just the stage. So I am covering basics of vocal mechanics for live theater for um, the, the, the stage, but we will also get into voiceovers, um, voice for recordings, basically, whether it's podcasting, um, audio commercials, um, audio books, those types of things, just because especially even, you know, uh, pandemic restrictions notwithstanding, there are more and more opportunities in the industry for remote work. Now, um, where a production set up with microphones and recording 
um, equipment is more available to, you know, used to be, I mean, you had to, I mean, it was thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gigantic equipment. And now you can invest a a few hundred dollars. I mean, you could still invest a lot of money, but you can invest, uh, you know, a relatively small amount of money into a home studio um, and just about work full time if you wanted to. And, but, but the technical side of it is not what I'm there to teach them. I'm there to teach them the vocal technique side of it. And, um, and to also learn to perform with your voice, you know, not just make your voice sound good, but to still play the character, tell the story. Um, we're actually working on monologues right now. And um, up until now, it really has been the focus is on the quality of your voice. How loud is it? How clearly do you speak? Um, where are weaknesses that you can compensate for? Those types of things. And now we're really getting into playing a character. Um, and I'm actually having a lot of fun with it. And I think they are too. Because I, I tasked them, usually I say, find a character that fits you, you know, find a um, character that that you could play, that you would make sense playing. Um, but this time I, did, I went the opposite. I said, find a character that is necessarily different than you vocally. And it's funny because I have a nine, nine students in the class, two of them are male, and they both picked monologues for female characters and um which that was one of the things that and some of the girls some of the ladies picked male characters but I just thought it was interesting that that's what both guys went directly to um was male care uh female characters and um but you know so gender differences accent differences you know somebody's doing an Eliza Doolittle monologue and um and we all we will get into dialects later in the semester as well so um, we'll we'll learn standard British. I just feel like that's the most <laughs> the most user, usable one, and and really the learning the technique is the main thing that I want them to take away from it for future use, um, because the technique of learning a dialect is similar regardless of the dialect you're learning. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning right along with some things right along with them. Um, and discovering, you know, I, I think one of the greatest, great things about teaching is it really deepens your, your knowledge and understanding because sure, I can get up on a stage and speak loudly. I can do that. I've been able to do that my whole life. I've just got a naturally big voice. But what I've had to learn to do as a teacher is to, and, and it definitely comes in as a director as well, because teaching is often an aspect of directing, um, even, even if you're working with professionals. Um, but knowing how to go about making that sound, how, what, what do I need to consciously do in my body to make that, um, that sound, whether or not you have a big voice, because not everybody does, not everybody has a naturally loud voice, but everybody can learn to make their voice loud enough to be heard. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying the, the vocal aspect, um, focusing primarily on that. Um, I have to remind myself sometimes that that's what I'm doing. Cause I'm like, you're just standing there, do something. 
like, no, that's real. I mean, you can, <laughs> but that's not what we're focused on. I just hit the table and like shook everything. <laughs> it wasn't an earthquake, guys. It's okay. We did have an earthquake earlier this year in North Carolina. I didn't feel it. I slept through it, but evidently some other folks in town did. But. So you earlier, no, you know, this, I think this podcast should be called the standby go podcast, the tangent. <laughs> I feel like most of the, most of the things that come out in these episodes are tangents off of the main yeah. question. Yeah. So earlier you were talking about how initially you thought teaching was going to be a one or two year thing, mm-hmm. and, you know, grateful f- for me that that didn't happen because I actually t- people often ask me because I they all know that you're my director for four years, mm-hmm. but they're like, did you ever have your sister? I was like, yeah, I had her for two classes, I had her for speech because I was in forensics, which we won't talk about that year. The forensics. That's okay. Yeah, I kind of want to block that out too. <laughs> Not your being in it, but my code. I mean, the meets were fun. Yeah. Like I enjoyed going. I didn't enjoy like you know performing which is a whole, it's not really performing, it's interpreting, which is, you know, whatever. Um, and then Close, I, but not the same. And then I had you again uh, for Theater One, my last semester of high school. Um, I, I finagled my way into that class. Uh, and actually now, if, if, if that had been a few years later, North Carolina shifted the way all of their arts programs were set up, um, rather than Theater One, Two, Three, Four, it's beginning, it's, it's competency-based, beginning, intermediate, proficient, advanced. And part of the benefit of that, part of the way that they have it structured, they being the state of North Carolina, is um, you don't have to do it chronologically. Mm. You can, so at that point, I would have put you in like proficient, um, maybe even advanced. And, um, because that's where you were based on your experience, based on your experience with me. Um, and you can also take the same level multiple times for credit before with the one, two, three, four, you couldn't, once you took theater one, you were done with theater one, you had to move on to theater two, um, and you had to do them in order. And so, um, so yeah, uh, and and I think it was because of s- people like you, um, because it happens all the time, especially in theater. And I know it happens in other disciplines as well, but this is the one I know. And um, the you have students who there's not elementary theater programs. There's a couple of schools that have a program, but two out of dozens. Um, and there are hardly any middle school programs, I think as many as there are, are elementary. Um, and so you have a lot of kids who get to high school and they've had theater experiences. They've done best Christmas pageant ever since they were six. They've done stuff at church. They've done, you know, they're moving here from another place that did have a middle school program. And so you had a lot of kids who didn't need the bare bones, basic, stage right, stage left instruction that comes with beginning theater. Um, and so that gave the teachers the autonomy to say, yeah, this kid will be best served by being in a different level, or this kid will be best served by taking beginning theater again and again and again and again until they graduate because they won't quit signing up for it. <laughs> well, orig- so originally I was signed up to take business law first block. I picked it. I, I don't know why, but I picked it. Not that there's anything wrong with business law. It just seems random for John. Yeah. And uh, it was first block. And I learned in the first semester 
that I would have to take the vocats. And I wanted to take as few amount of tests my last semester as possible. I was already having to take an EOC for chemistry, but I didn't want to take vocats. And so I was like, okay, what is first block? <laughs> and I learned that theater one was first block. And so, okay. Um, and this is where I use the fact that our last names are different because you're married. Oh, yeah. And I went into the, the, the back then guidance counselor, now school counselor. And I was like, um, I, would, I just want to, I don't, I don't want to take the vocats. There's no need for me to take business law. Um, can we see what else is available for first block? Me already knowing this. And she's like, yeah, let's look. And she's like, what do you want? I was like, oh, uh, theater would be fun. She goes, well, it's going to have to be theater one. And I'm just like, it is, but go ahead and check. <laughs> and she checks and she goes, oh yeah, theater one, first block. Would you like me to sign you up for that with Miss Herring? I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, you're signed up. And I just walked out and I was just like, well, I just played the system there. Nice. Um, well, and the thing is, I'm sure that counselor knew that you were my brother, but... I think at some point it popped in Even... I, I think the relative... The issue is really just with parent-child being yeah. in, the, in the same class. All right. So we just had a, a, a quiche break, um, a quiche-making break. Uh, so I'll get back to the question that, uh, that we were, I was getting to before I got sidelined. Um, and that is earlier you talked about how teaching was just going to be a one or two year thing and realized that you, it was what you wanted to do and it was your passion and stuff. And, and what is it about teaching? And at that point it was teaching high schoolers and then now it's, it's teaching uh, folks in community college. What is it about teaching that, really excites you, really uh, gets you going, makes you impassioned? Um, it's, it's a couple of things. Um, I love the opportunity to be a part of someone discovering theater, discovering that, hey, this is really cool. It's fun. I'm good at it. Um, or I like going to see plays. Um, there, I can't imagine what the actual number is of students that I, over the years, have taken to see their very first live play. Um, a lot of them had seen a ballet or a symphony, which is great, but a lot of them had not seen a live play. And um, I did, I've done tons of field trips over the years, and um, so it's just always really exciting to be a part of that, to be a part of that discovery, to be the one who opens that door and ushers them into the world of theater. Um, regardless of what that winds up being for them in their, in their future as, you know, beyond high school or beyond community college, whether they pursue a career in it like you have, um, or whether they, um, continue to do it as, as a hobby or as a side gig. Um, I actually have a former student right now who's the assistant artistic director at the Gilbert Theater in Fayetteville. And I don't think that was ever on her radar, even when she took theater in high school and she loved it. And um, I don't think she, it was ever her intention to wind up having any kind of career in theater. Um, but the, here she is. And, um, or 
if they never step foot on a stage again, or ever, you know, volunteer for a crew again, if they just, um, are, are an audience. I've, I've said, it dawned on me years ago that one of my biggest responsibilities as particularly a high school teacher, theater teacher is I'm training the audience of tomorrow as much as anybody. Uh, and I want to train a really good audience. I want to train an audience that doesn't just know how to behave themselves, um, but also knows how to appreciate what they're watching happen on stage because they've been there. They've done it to some degree or another. Um, and, and I think that empathy for people on stage uh, goes a long way towards truly appreciating what it is you're watching. Not that you have to have that background to appreciate theater, but I just think it kind of um, gives you an extra layer, an extra depth of understanding when you when you have some personal connection to the work that you're seeing on stage. Um, I also love being a part of a student kind of coming into their own as a performer. And I'll tell you what I mean by telling you about a particular student. I won't use her actual name because um, I don't have her permission, but I'll call her Mary. Um, I taught, I started teaching Mary as a, a freshman in high school. This was at Terry Sanford. So John, you don't know her. <laughs> um, I don't think, I know you knew some of my high school students, I I, but I, so you might recognize her if you saw her, but I don't know that you know Mary. Anyway, um, she was unbelievably insecure and nervous and did not want to get on stage and speak by herself. She wanted to, but she didn't. She wanted to, but she was terrified. And, um, and over the end, she took theater for four years. She took choir for four years. And I think that helped as well. Just the more opportunity you have to be on stage in front of people doing things, the easier it becomes, the more you learn to negotiate the, the nerves. And, um, and she just really grew as a performer. Um, and her senior year, she had a, a, a pretty sizable part in our class production um, which she just blew out of the water and it was amazing. Um, and then later that spring, she was in the school talent show. She was, like I said, she was a singer as well as an actor and she was singing a song and she had a little hiccup. I don't remember what happened, but she had a little hiccup in her performance that she recovered from really well and kept going and finished incredibly strong. <clears throat> I actually think there was an issue with the music, with the recording. It was a problem on my end because I was running the sound. And, um, but she, you know, it rattled her. I could tell because I knew her. I could tell that it rattled her a little bit, but she took a deep breath <laughs> and I started the music over and she gave a beautiful performance. And I went up to her after that and she had tears in her eyes. And I said, I am so incredibly proud of you because the Mary four years ago, the moment something went wrong on stage, even though it wasn't her fault, would have just run off stage. 
And, um, but you didn't, you handled yourself beautifully and you recovered beautifully and you just, um, were the, the, the epitome of the show must go on. And, um, and she just started crying. And, um, this was probably five years ago or so. And I'm still in contact with this uh, young lady and, and she still talks about that. She said, you, you coming up and saying that to me was one of the highlights of, of my life. The, the journey to get to that point was significant, but also that moment of realizing that growth. Cause I don't know that that had really sunk into her yet, that how significant it was that she handled that, that moment um, where not everything went according to plan like she did and with as much grace and, um, and professionalism as she did. And I just, and, and, and I could tell dozens of stories like that of kids that I've just watched blossom on stage and blossom as students and blossom as, as human beings because of their work on stage. Um, and I just love providing those opportunities. Um, actually I was just talking to somebody, uh, recently who was talking about their days in high school theater and he's had a wonderful high school theater teacher. And he said, she didn't so much teach us as allowed us to learn. And I was like, that's a great way to put it. I've always said, I just want to provide opportunities for students to learn this. Obviously there are specific lessons, things that they have to, you know, have to learn and have to uh, be assessed on. But so much of it, so much of those small things depend, it's going to vary from one kid to the next. Um, it's going to vary, you know, how much they grow, how much they learn, what specifically they learn and take with them into their futures depends on where they're starting from and what they need and um, how willing they are to work for it. Um, and I just, I love being a part of that. I never get tired of it. Um, it, it gets tiring sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, having to, to, to see something in somebody that they can't see in themselves and just go, why can't you, you know, figure this out? I know it about you. Why don't you know it about yourself? Um, you know, so it, it does, it, it's not easy, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's worth the headaches that come with teaching, for the most part, <laughs> it's worth the, the knuckleheads that don't want to put the work in. Um, and every now and then one of them turns into a, a bright star. And I got a few of those stories too. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is what I was going to come in and say. And I know one thing that you enjoyed when you were a high school teacher, cause we would talk about this. And one time I actually, I think I was just in town during, you had auditions for something. And I sat in on the auditions and it almost every show you, you had a student show up and were shocked that they were there because you were like, this, this person doesn't care about theater. And then not only are they good and you cast them, but they're a freshman and they stay with you four years. Yeah. And I know um, that you had a few of those that like I, cause I typically would come and help you during your tech week if I was off on spring break or something. Um, and, and you would have those students. You did who, one really brilliant light cue for me. Yeah. That lightning sequence. It took me like 45 once minutes on this island. Yeah. And for those of you out there who know lighting, they're like, lightning's not hard, you guys. But with our setup, the way I had very, very basic lighting and remarkably few instruments to work with. And so we had to kind of get creative. And, and he did. He spent like an hour. <laughs> 
figuring out figuring it out, programming it, making it happen to where all I had to do was hit a button. Yeah, and for was, for like a was, two and a half second. Yeah. <laughs> and was that was that Abby's stage um, debut? Like for a full um, length for a full show, show. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my daughter was in. Um, for those of you who don't know who Abby is, my fourteen-year-old that we referenced earlier that I was carrying when we did Romeo and Juliet. Um, she, uh, the show was once on this island. Um, which, if you're not familiar with it, do yourself a favor and get familiar with it. It's a brilliant show, so good. But it starts. The main character's name is T Moon, and she starts out as a little girl and Abby was about, I think eight at the time. And so she was, she was little T moon in that production. And that was so cool. It was so cool working with my kid, having my kid work with my school kids. Um, they Who all were, call you mama Herring. Right. Yeah. My yeah. nickname became mama Herring. Um, probably about that time. Cause I think uh, Rosie was the one who, who gave me that name officially, who really like, it really took off. Who is now her. a college graduate. Right. Yeah. Right. She just finished her uh, BFA in uh, acting and the, um, but she, they, they were great with her. I threatened their lives if they, <laughs> if she suddenly started cussing at home and things like that she didn't they were fantastic and it was just a really cool experience it was a great experience for her to be on stage with um talented high school students um she got to dance which on stage which she loves and uh it was just it was so much fun it, uh uh that show represents so much it was the coolest set I've ever had that I had absolutely nothing to do with um a student came and painted the backdrop for me I mean I I designed the structure of it but that wasn't the cool part the cool part was the painting and um you know incredibly talented cast it's such a great show it's such a great show beautiful music um beautiful story um fun stuff to do like technically there's some sort of like dream sequence type stuff that you can really go nuts with um not terrible terribly uh challenging choreography and the girl who played T-Moon was a great choreographer so she basically choreographed her own stuff which is good because I'm not a choreographer um I can come up with something it's gonna be real basic we do lots of jazz squares and uh, great vibes. I do love me a good jazz square. Mm-hmm. And if I want to get real fancy, we do some pony. Throw some pony up in there. <laughs> I, there's a fancier name for that. I don't remember what it is. Um, yeah, I'm real good. It's like the only dance step I'm really good at is the is the jazz square, and I can do it both directions, right and left. And I don't have to look down at my feet. When uh, the uh, the when a few years ago, back in my like stint of doing the musicals of Fable Tech. Uh, so from Fiddler to the last to Annie Get Your Gun, and um, we were doing South Pacific, and then all of a sudden we did not do South Pacific. Um, but I, I was the male dance captain for that show, and that that should tell you about how uh, good and graceful the male dancers were in that show. If I was the male dance captain. Folks, John has a lot of talents. Listen, I can learn choreography. Yes. I can't dance, but I can learn choreography. Um, there is a difference. 
Here's the difference between a dancer and a mover. But I think, yes, I'm a mover. Mover. I'm a mover. He has rhythm. I'm a, I'm a mover who has great rhythm because I'm a bass player. Right. <laughs> um, but I think I was the male dance captain because I was the only one who can do a jazz square both directions without looking at my feet. Because everybody, everybody would bar. just look down. Because I'm pretty sure I was the youngest by like 30 years of the men in that cast. Yeah, you know what? You probably, yeah. So yeah, that um, would make sense for that show. That entire show is a totally different podcast, which we're not going to get into. Um, and I wasn't involved in it, so. You were not. And I could not speak to that. And that's a show that I've never, I've never seen it. I've never heard all the, I've, you know, I know some songs, but I've never heard all of it. I've never been involved in it in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. There aren't a whole, um, well, there are a lot of shows like that, but <laughs> some of the big musicals, like I've at least seen or read and some of them I've been in, but yeah, only, South Pacific's not. The only person I felt bad about when that thing closed, because I was happy about it, um, when we decided not to do it, was Christiana, because that was her, oh, that yeah. was her first like real big character. And that was about the same time because she was the, she was T-Moon in What's on this Island that Abby played the little version of. She was the grown-up Look at old Christiana. She was the um, the choreographer. She she did all the choreography for the whole thing. I basically just turned her loose with any dance number for any show she was ever in. I gave her some like, you know, this is kind of what I want to see. Go nuts. And she did. And she was really good at teaching it too. Which you do, and you're good at that because that's not the only show you've done that for. You usually no, find not. usually find the strong dancer in the mm-hmm. in, in, for and sure. I think that's the strength of a good director is knowing what they're not good at, finding somebody and what you can delegate because it's what that's what you did for Joseph, didn't you? You had a Probably. one of the narrators was like a good dancer. Probably, yeah, that yeah. sounds right. And and that's one thing that um, it it took some experience for me to kind of get a hang of was the fact that um, that was a, a great experience for the students. It wasn't just a matter of me pawning off part of the creative process on somebody else. It was an opportunity for students to learn and grow in a different arena besides you know, this one um, that they had that they had already done or were already doing. Um, especially for students, I, I started paying attention to students that I thought might take theater beyond their high school career, major in college, work towards a career. And, you know, and they, I would, most of them would ask me if they could, uh, but even if they didn't, I would offer, hey, do you want to uh, stage manage this? Or do you want to do costumes? Do you want to, you know, whatever, it was, do you want to choreograph? And then I would build them in the, you know, I would give them credit in the program. So they had documentation, you know, it wasn't just, you know, you didn't have to take their word for it. They had portfolio material to show and say, I have done this for a production. Um, and so, and, and that was a great experience for, for students. Um, I had <laughs> one of the great ones. I'll, I'll never forget this moment because she wasn't expecting it. Um, Rosie was not in. Uh, it's Rosie Harrison. I'm sure she's going to be a big star. So I'll, I'll use her name here. Rosebud um, Harrison. She, um, she wasn't in once on this island, uh, but she asked if she could do costumes. And I said, oh, that'd be great. And I gave her an idea of what I wanted. You know, I didn't have real specific ideas, but, and the, that show has for 
deity characters, uh, three gods, Mother Earth, the God of Water, um, the Goddess of Love, and the Demon of Death. And I was like, I really want, and I was like, go nuts with those costumes. Sky's the limit. Here's your budget. And she came up with some really cool stuff. And then she came up with the idea because you have the islanders and you have the, the native islanders and you have the, the wealthy people. And they have specific like category names. I don't remember what it is. And she had this idea to put all the islanders in this like real specific kind of dress. And I was like, looks very contemporary and kind of fancy. And the whole idea is that they're really poor. And so it was, I looked at her plans and I was like, no, I don't want that. Do something different. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what do you mean? <laughs> she was so shook by that. And, she, you know, she, she was a pro. She shook it off. And I explained to her, it wasn't just like, I don't like what you've done. It was, here's why this isn't fitting the vision that I have for this show. Yeah, it doesn't go with the concept that right. you created. Yeah. I was like, it looks like you're taking a bunch of middle class high school kids and stick in having them pretend to be Islanders, which honestly is kind of a little insulting to an extent, you know, a little uh, cultural appropriation. I don't think she saw it that way. And I didn't even use those terms. It's something that I've kind of come to the realization of since then. Um, but the, uh, and what we wound up with was much more um, appropriate and accurate. I think as accurate as you can be with a show that's kind of, fairy tale-esque but anyway um and so you know those those learning opportunities aren't always shiny and and rosy and sweet sometimes they're like you're wrong and this is why um but that's something that you know that I think she carried with her I think those those types of lessons and moments can have a benefit you know, even if she doesn't put her finger on that moment as being significant, because I doubt she does, but um, that it's something that becomes a part of the fabric of of what you build your your career and your work on. And so the more variety I could offer students, and it just helped take one thing off of my plate, which is always a good thing. Because <laughs> as a high school theater director in particular, you're kind of everything. You know, even if you have people, you know, I always had a stage manager, but very rarely did I have somebody who was really doing the job of a stage manager. I kind of had, you know, they'd give calls, they'd help coordinate things backstage, but it's basically like I had, they were, they were kind of like my puppet. They were your, they, they're your ASM. Really, yeah. if you look at if you right. look at the roles, mm-hmm. yeah. your your stage manager is doing the ASM work. And I did have a couple of true stage managers who really did the job of a stage manager, and I had to give them some direction and some this is what you need to do. But then they kind of took that and ran with it. Um, the, they were kind of rare unicorns, though. Um, and the the rarest of the unicorns was the one where they could effectively tell their peers what to do, and it didn't cause friction. High school students don't generally like to do what other high school students tell them to do. <laughs> Even though I always gave the speech of, he's in charge. If I'm not, you know, he's telling you or she's telling you what I'm telling him to tell you, you know, um, it's, it's not work, but I, I had one in particular who was just really, and she was my stage manager for four years. It was awesome. When she got to be a senior, I was like, you can't graduate because I can't do this without you now. <laughs> by the end, she, I didn't have to tell her a thing. 
I was like, here's the script. You know, every now and then I'd look at her during rehearsal and be like, did you write that down? Yep. Done. You know, it was just, it was great. Um, having as a director and any of you out there who are directors will know this, having a good stage manager is a game changer as a director. It's just, it's so nice. It's so helpful to have somebody who can help keep all the plates spinning for you. So you can focus that mental energy where it needs to be. Yeah. I've worked with a couple of teachers. Like I've worked through ACT, the directors, their day job is, is being a teacher <laughs> and I'll show up with, we're probably be, the worst <laughs> with like, no, 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 they're the best. Oh, okay. Basically because, and it's everything to do with the scheduling. It's mm, like, they know how mm-hmm, to schedule mm-hmm, rehearsal, mm-hmm. but they also like, I very rarely had to be like, Hey, Candace, we need to move on. Or, Hey, Hey, Julie, uh, we just ran 10 minutes over. Right. Like, they okay, know what, they know what over. an hour is. Very rarely am I like, uh, um, we need to, we need to move on. Be- because when you're used to having an after school rehearsal, you've got kids whose parents are waiting to pick them up who get real crabby when you run late. I never, I never ran late. I, you know, I might have to have somebody like remind me that we're taking, you know, we're getting close. I, I usually will tell my stage manager, especially now, uh, who have a really experienced stage manager that uh, does all our shows at FTCC. She, um, I'll say, give me like, give me 10. Like when we're at 10 till, just so I know I need to start wrapping it up. I give enough time for notes, things like that. Cause even though I'm working with adults now that pretty much all have their own mode of transportation and, um, and things like that. And they, they're a little bit more at Liberty to go over. I still, I just want to respect their time. You know, I want to respect the fact because none of them are, I mean, they all have day jobs. They all have other responsibilities and, and so do I, um, you know, I want to go home on time <laughs> as much as I want them to go home on time. Um, so it, it's just something that um, I, and I know that's not necessarily true of all teacher directors, but it's something that I've really, it's become important to me. I want to, I want to, I want to use the time that we need, but the time I tell you we're going to take is the time we're going to take. And, and if we need to make changes to that, we can, but um but I don't want to just constantly be going over or starting late or um, which that's the one I'm, I'm guilty of. I'll- you, yeah. And you, you are, you're the teacher that never held rehearsal till 10 o'clock at night. No, never. Oh like my gosh. During tech week, like other schools, Mm-mm. I'm not going to name mm-hmm. notorious for 10 mm-hmm. o'clock. Yeah. Super late weeks. rehearsals. And yours was like Mm-mm. six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those were our long rehearsals was till six because and the and I'll tell you why and I'm not I'm not saying that those the teachers that do that are wrong, but that um, but the reason I never did is I always felt like I had a I'll, I'll quote I'll give you a quote of why my mentor in, at Mars Hill in, in acting and directing Jim Thomas, who we all lovingly call T, because um, Jim's super hard. Um, <laughs> Uh, he said, a good director always knows when the rehearsal has stopped being productive and doesn't keep going. It's, you know, sort of the, the notion of work smarter, not harder. And just the amount, the simple amount of time spent is, does not equal, always equal a quality performance. And, um, and I always just felt like after a full day of school, 
and a few hours of rehearsal, we're all toast. You know, I'm exhausted. They're exhausted. And even if we kept learning and we kept drilling and we kept repeating, how much of that is really going to stick? And, you know, I think there's, there's no one right way to do anything. And so, and, and, and that includes theater, but that it worked for me. And I, I told my students, cause I would have students ask, can we stay later? Can we, yeah, some of them want to, just right. Suck, yeah. Can we work on the weekend? And, and I did some weekend rehearsals yeah, just, here and there. They, they weren't, that wasn't the norm. That wasn't the norm. I did that here and there when I felt like there wasn't any other option. Um, but the, but other, but a lot of times when I told them, I'm like, I just need you to put the work in while we're here. You know, what we get done during this time that we're scheduled is the time is what we're going to get done. And if you want more then you've got to put that time in, um, during these, these parameters. And I feel like that was a good, I feel like, you know, a lot of times people work better when they've got some boundaries, when they've got some parameters placed on them it's almost better than okay we've got four hours we've got time it's like that that under pressure work um yeah work work really hard for two hours instead of mediocre for four right exactly exactly so all right so we're gonna move on to what i always call the speed round which is never speedy but we'll see (laughs) it's only four questions okay um two of them are acting okay um and two of them are directing okay so what has been um, what has been your favorite show that you've been in? That I've been in? Okay. Um, I'm going to give you two for different reasons. Um, one that was just plain fun was um, Carousel. I've actually been in it twice, once in high school at Cape Fear Regional Theater and once in college. Where you, where you danced with Grady Bowman? Yes, where I danced who, with Grady Bowman. Who then uh, went to School of the Arts. And then School of the Arts. Uh, was the fight captain for Billy Elliot on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And has choreographed for Julie Andrews. I can't remember the name of the show, but she directed a show and he choreographed it. <laughs> One degree of separation from Julie Andrews. No big deal. Um, but yeah, and um, and he actually choreographed a song for me in Thoroughly Modern Millie. And who got you in contact to do that? John did it. He he made that happen. Brother of the awesome. Year award. Uh, 100%. Because that was my biggest reservation about that show. Is like, I don't choreograph well and I really don't choreograph tap. And didn't Dirk also? Yes. Because we were doing a, we were doing a 50-year review at, at Cape Fear. Uh, where everybody was coming into town. I did not get him, but I did get Grady. Yeah. And then you got, and he did a, he did a duet, a duet dance. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, Grady did Forget About the Boy, which is big, big ensemble number. Um, and the most impressive part about that was that only about three of those girls on stage actually knew how to tap dance. Um, and he came up with a number that they could all learn and do, and it looked and sounded really impressive. And then it also ended up, in the show we were doing at Cape Fear Regional. He used yours. That's right. He, I forgot he used about that. yours to choreograph the one for Cape Fear right. Regional. Right, which yeah. is brilliant. You always doubled it. It's like workshop, workshopping with the teenagers uh-huh, and uh-huh. then make it a little he bit. He choreographed more. that number in about three hours, like from from zero to the whole com- the whole ensemble that was performing that number knew it in three hours. So. So Carousel. Amazing. So Carousel um, 
it's just, I was in the ensemble of it in both productions. It's just, it was fun. I just had a good time. It's not the most brilliant show. It's socially problematic. The music's, it it is what it is. Um, It's classic 50s, 60s, Rodgers and Hammerstein, which some love, some not so much. Um, But it was just a fun show to be a part of. From an acting perspective, um, I was in No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre in my junior year of college at Mars Hill. I played Inez, Inez, I think it's Inez, Inez. And it was the most challenging role I've ever played. It was the most words I've ever had to learn. So it was technically difficult. We did it in the round, um, which and the audience was all about three feet from our faces at any given moment. Um, so there was literally no exit. There was no escape from the audience even. Um, I was not allowed to see this. You were not because you were 13, 12, 11 or 12. I stayed home with Mimi. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My my parents came to see it. And as always, um, mama asked, where should we sit? And I said, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm always going to have my back to you at some point. I'm always going to have my face to you at some point. They're all close. Um, so there's not a bad, there's not a bad seat. So just sit wherever. And I didn't think that answer through really well. And Inez has this moment where she just has a complete breakdown. I mean, literally on the floor, sobbing, just complete meltdown. And the way that we blocked it, I was facing a particular part of the stage. And that's where they sat. So it's basically looking at my mom. And, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm a crier. I didn't make myself cry during this scene, but I did anyway. So literal tears, literal, like physical, um, results of crying and looking at my mom. And she said, she, she almost came down out of the audience. (laughs) Oh, mama. Oh, mama. (laughs) O'Neill. Mama. (laughs) She didn't, she didn't, but, um, but no, that show was, working on that show, developing that character taught me more about acting, I think, than any in class that I ever took. Um, it just, it, it, and it's been long enough, I almost wish I had journaled it a little bit more um, than I did. I didn't journal it at all. I wish I had journaled it to, so I could go back and, and read through those thoughts and the, the sort of process that I went through, because I don't remember a lot of the specifics. I just remember really pushing myself and being pushed in a way in ways that I just never had before. Um, so it was uh, such a fun role. It was it was it wasn't fun. It was rewarding and exciting and um, really challenging in such a satisfying way. So it was a great experience. Very cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, I wish there was a video of it. Me so too. Can, me too. So I can see it. Yeah, me too. Uh, Cause I, I look, I think back other than stuff I've seen you do at Snyder. I don't think I've ever actually, I mean, I, I, I came to carousel, but I was so young. Right. And I wasn't into theater. So yeah. Like, Cause Why carousel at Cape Fear regional was, 95 fall of 95 so i was i was i was 16 so you were eight yeah Yeah, you were eight was that the show where i dropped you on your ear yes Mm -hmm. we were right before a performance we were dancing and i'm pretty sure you gave me a mild concussion and i went to (laughs) 
and no, I went to dip you. You didn't do anything wrong. It was just we were I went play to, dancing. I went to dip, and I dropped her into a wall. Letting letting an eight year old dip a sixteen year old always a great idea. And I and I fell in the process of that and hit my head on a um, door frame, and was fine for a bit. And then like halfway through the show, went I can't even pass out. <laughs> And it was funny because at that moment, there was right before we went on stage where it really kind of like hit me, terrible headache, like a little bit of nausea, felt lightheaded, you know, all those great concussion symptoms. And I w- we were about to go on stage um, and the scene that it was for, we it was a whole crowd of us went on stage and then we just stood there for like five minutes and we had to be really still because this is a big climactic moment happening on stage. And I looked at Grady because we were kind of a couple and they coupled up everybody in the ensemble. And I was the only girl that wasn't taller than him. So Grady's not a very tall man. And he was only 13 or 14 at the time. And uh, I was like, I don't think I can go on. I don't think anybody will miss me. And he was like, okay. And right before I was like, I think I'll be okay. I had gone outside, kind of cooled off a little bit. So I think I'll be okay. And I was like, just hang on. <laughs> and we always were kind of like, he had his arm around my shoulder, but he literally kind of held me up. I don't even know that he remembers that, but I do. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. It's just me getting you back from the time that you scared the mess out of me on the Halloween thing at the Owens's house um, where I thought you were dead. Okay. So um, th- th- those are your favorite shows. What has been your favorite show to direct? I knew you were going to ask me that. Sheesh. Um, if I have to pick a favorite, it probably would be Once on This Island. There were just a lot of really cool experiences and unique experiences. Um, that was one of the first shows that I had ever directed that I had no prior experience with. I, had, I hadn't listened to any of the music before we decided to do it. Um, well, I, I had listened to a little bit. I had listened to sort of samples, but I hadn't listened to the whole thing. I hadn't read the whole thing. I was taking that, I was, our music director had done it. Um, he had both been in it and done the music direction for it with another company. And um, so I was kind of taking his word for it. And the more I researched it, the more excited I got for it. But because of that, I was, I, I didn't have really any kind of preconceived notions about what this play was going to be. And so it really became a very collaborative effort between the music director, the students, that's the one where Rosie designed the costumes. That's the one where Christiana did all the choreography. Um, that's the one where the student painted the set for me. And I just kind of came in and like showed her a couple images and was like, kind of this, but kind of that. And, and in three days it was done. And I was like, how it's just gorgeous and um and lots of people commented on that set in particular um i i watched several students really kind of blossom and come into their own eden that was just kind of her i think that was her her launch point into um her theater career because she just graduated from college with a ba in theater and um you know so it just it, it just so many of those wonderful moments that happen in shows all happened in that one and it was just it was fun and and it's a just a great show it's really fun music it's beautiful it's exciting it's different um so yeah if I had to pick a favorite it's that one I guess I'll it's okay that you didn't pick one that you directed me I know 
I know. Cause Joseph is right up there too. I loved that show. I love the show itself. And I loved that production. That's actually my, that was my first musical. I don't count. I don't count. Um, which was the wizard of Oz and fourth and grade, Peter Pan, fourth or fifth grade. And Cause I you, yeah, you didn't, I didn't sing. Yeah. Though, first of all. Um, and I almost took my hook off. That's another story. Um, <laughs> Pretty sure you saved me on that one because I think you gasped from the audience. <gasps> All right. So next question is, is uh, what is your dream show to be in as an actor? Slash dream role. Okay. This one's actually a new one because I'm hoping to do it. I'm, I'm putting this out into the app, into the ethos. Maybe that'll make it happen. Um, the show Clue. Cape Fear Regional is doing it in the spring. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I would love to be in Clue. I love the movie. I've always loved the movie. Uh, one of my absolute favorite moments in all of cinema that I've experienced is Mrs. White. I hated her so much. It was like fl- fl- flames, flames on the side of my face, <laughs> heaving hot I love it it. so either Miss White or Miss Scarlet honestly either one would be amazing so um yeah yeah I'll probably think of five more after we're done but that's the that's the one that's at the top of the list right now and then the last of the speed round is dream show to direct dream show to direct um I don't know why this one just popped in my head, but I know this is the reason for speed round. So I'm going to go with my first impulse. Newsies. Yes. It would be Tough hard. Show. Tough show to do. Hard. And, and it's probably kind of a pipe dream, honestly, um, at least for where I am now. Um, I think that would have to be one where some, a, a bigger company hired me to do it. I don't know that it's really within um, of a, that it would be available to, uh, for lots of reasons, um, to FTCC to do, but, um, cause it's, it's big, it's huge. It's huge and elaborate. Yeah, they, don't have to, they don't have the size of the stage. In exactly. Exactly. Um, and plus you, you I mean, you got to have like 25 boys or can all 25 males who can all dance. Um, now the thing about it is, is of course, as with anything, you know, we, I would never aspire to just repeat what they did on Broadway. But, you know, I think that's definitely one where you could have a handful of good male dancers and make choreography fit the skills of the others. And you could certainly cast girls to play some of the some of the boys. Um, But the but I just love that show. It's so much fun. And the other issue with it is that there are exactly, I think, in total, five females in the whole thing. There's one principal role and then three or four, you know, you've got the meta, meta. Oh, oh yeah. The, 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 the diva. She, she runs the theater. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's meta. I'm going to be wrong about that. I'm sorry. Um, great role. That'd be fun to play. Um, and then, and then others that play multiple roles, the nuns and the opening, the one secretary for Pulitzer and some other ones like that. And then of course, Catherine, um, which is a great role, but you know, it's still, (laughs) so that would be tough, but I, it's, it's still, it's just such a fun show. Um, I love that one. I, I would love to do once on this Island again. Um, I actually have the spot 
on FTCC's campus picked out to do it outdoors because I think it works. It's a perfect, perfect choice for an outdoor musical. It'd be challenging, of course, but to just logistically, technically to do it outdoors, but I still think it'd be fun. Yeah, so you don't have to bring in, you know, the 100 pounds of sand like they did in New York. Yeah, well, of course, we didn't do that at Sherry Sanford either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you you wouldn't have to do that. You'd already, and we'd be on grass instead of sand, but still. But it's in a kind of a courtyard, so we'd have some help acoustically, at least somewhat, more than being out. Is that the one, is it that courtyard that's out behind where the theater is mm-hmm. now? Yeah, okay. yeah. I know that courtyard very well. Yep. So, um, but the... Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's an ever-growing list. I'd love to do um, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. I'd love to do A Midsummer Night's Dream again. I've done it, but it's been a while. Um, you know, I've just always got a list <laughs> of shows that I'd love to direct. But you asked the question, and that's the show that popped in my head, was Newsies. Yeah, right now, in, uh, at the front of my head is I want to do Charlie Brown. And I think right now... I'd love to do that one again, too. Yeah, uh, I think it'd be great for right now because it's only six people. You can you can you block can space it, space them. it. Yeah. So any theater that wants me to come direct, if you're on the west, if you're on the west side of the state, come have me do it. If you're on the east side of the state, come have. Another me one do it. that I'd love to direct is Smokey Joe's Cafe. Yes, that's a fun show. Although the the director really kind of works in the shadows on that one, unless you are Ray Kennedy, who's a brilliant director and choreographer. That's who did the one that I stage managed that you worked on um brilliant oh my gosh anyway um and i'm just obvious as stated as established not a choreographer um Uh, such a great show i always forget how good the music is mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then you find somebody else who is a a smoky joe's cafe lover um like dylan giles who was the first episode of Mm -hmm. the podcast he's a big time um a big time Smokey Joe's fan. Yeah. And the two of us typically when we are in the car, we play it, we just belt it nice, out. Nice, nice. And he he would be the Dane character. He would be the Dane track. The, okay. The, 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 top, the high tenor. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. be more the Greg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I still think the tricky one is that deep bass. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you the that would actually be another role I I really enjoy playing is the. I'm sure there's probably a more delicate way to put this, but the white woman. <laughs> but just just for um, Pearl's a singer, and um, her and and just to be an I'm a woman. I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm- my favorite. So the only show I've been on stage for at Cape Regional, I've been backstage, above the stage, under the stage, in front of the stage for all three of those aspects um, many times. I was only on stage once, and that was for that 50th year Cape Regional thing. And they did, they did I'm a Woman. And I stood stage right, leaning against the stage every night of that performance it was like 20 women i'm pretty sure most performances of that um when i stage managed smoky joe's cafe i got up and danced like there was a little performance going on in the booth every night because the sound op was he he and i would we'd we'd have fun (laughs) so before we get to our to our last question um this is just coming up because i'm talking to a director 
I have this theory that every show has that one character that's like the hardest to cast and it's very rarely the leads. It's very rarely like the two main like lover leads. Like like in my mind, like just up like in Shrek, Shrek Fiona is usually pretty easy to the hard one is Pinocchio because of how how big that range is. And typically they also are the puppeteer for the dragon and blah blah blah. Um so what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you kind of agree with that? That you know, they're in most shows there's like that one role that's like really hard to cast yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. and and I think it, it varies um sometimes it's the like you said in Shrek I would agree either Pinocchio or Donkey are the two tough ones and it's not so much tough because like not many people can do the thing that may be it that I think that is for Pinocchio but also like you can't get it wrong like I and, and and that's true for all the parts, honestly. The I think the most important, the highest stakes role that a or job that a director has to do is casting. It, you know, if if you ca- if your casting isn't spot on, the the show will never be quite what it can be. Doesn't mean it'll it'll stink, doesn't mean it'll be a, a disaster. It could be, but it doesn't mean that that, but it's just, it'll never quite hit what it could be. And so I always feel like I, I get nervous at auditions when I'm the director, which is dumb. Um, but I do, I, I get nervous, um, because I, I know how much people want it and I know that I'm going to disappoint somebody. Um, and I, but I also know how high stakes that decision, those decisions are. Um, I think another thing that's important that makes certain roles hard to cast is, um, that you like, I can't think of how I want to say this. It's like you you have to kind of put together what you're seeing at auditions. You can't necessarily know like how or to, you you can do some things in auditions, particularly the callback level to see like, how are these two actors going to have chemistry, but you can't always predict it. You can't always tell, like, I think this person is going to be able to pull this off. I think I'm going to be able to pull what I need to see out of them but it, it's always a gamble. And, um, and for certain roles, if you don't see that, like you don't have that moment of this person is clearly the choice for Pin- Pinocchio or uh, clearly the choice for Charlie Brown because he can hit that high note in Mr. Cellophane. Um, the, if you don't have that, that big like spotlight moment, it can be hard to um, accurately predict what what an actor is going to be able to do especially a young one especially an 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 inexperienced or less experienced actor Um, because there are some where you just you know auditions are incredibly limited as to what you can see from somebody Um, and there again there are things you can do to manufacture those those moments but there it's still not always the same um you know, so casting is really tricky. It's really tricky. It can be really tricky, um, uh, but incredibly important. Yeah, I can see where casting can make or break your show. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite 
casting story is Thoroughly Modern Millie. Because I had, I'm going to use their names. I don't think they'll mind. Laura and Laurel. And they, I knew going into it that they were two of the most talented, the most experienced people that I was going to see. Always open to being wrong and somebody new showing up, showing me something I didn't know they could do. But as predicted, they were easily the strongest singers, easily the strongest actors. And everybody knew, they included, myself included, that Laurel was perfect for Miss Dorothy and Laura was perfect for Millie. So I cast them opposite. And I remember having that thought dawn on me and going, what have I switched? What have I switched? Because it, the, the roles they were perfect for were very typecast, very typecast. And I knew musically, and I did talk to my music director before I made that choice. I was like, do you think that they can get to the point where they can sing those parts. And he was like, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I think they're both motivated enough to work on, to put the work in. I think they both have the, the potential. And, and we were right. Um, but they, uh, and it, it wound up being brilliant. It wound up being absolutely brilliant. Um, and it worked out well because Laurel was a better tap dancer than Laura was. And so Laurel played Millie. Um, and, uh, it just, it, it wound up being just, just fantastic. They just killed those roles and had so much fun with them. I think they both learned more from playing the role that they weren't perfect for than they would have playing the one that they thought they were right. Yeah. It's easy to play your typecast. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. And I knew I was taking a risk in that, but it was a calculated risk. And I, th- I think even though it was a risk, it was a safe ish risk because I knew they, they would both really, I knew they would both work hard, work as hard as they needed to. And I don't think it wound up being as hard of work as they thought it was going to be maybe a little bit vocally for Laura, because that part is such a high soprano and she's a little bit more of a second, um, but she got there. She got there and just killed it. Absolutely killed it. That was a fun show. That'd be a fun one to do again. Yeah. That'd be fun. It's hard. Laura, it's fun. Laura being a, the second mention of a Griggs child. Yes. <laughs> I can throw the third one in. I never actually worked with him on a show, in but. The, uh, in the old uber talented Griggs family. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we can. That was weird. We can talk for an hour about King Griggs and working with King Griggs mm-hmm. and how amazing he is. Yep. Yep. So. Fun fun fact, Music Man was the Griggs' first show on the CFRT stage that we were both part of. Yeah. We were there when it all, when it happened. We were in the room where it happened. Oh. <laughs> you had to get, I got a Hamilton reference in. Yeah. I didn't have to like shoehorn it. It was very, like it just presented yeah, it itself. It happened organically. All right, so we're going to move on to the last question that I ask everybody, and I never tell anybody what it is beforehand because I do want it to be as organic as possible. Okay. But why theater? Hmm. I want to give you an answer that's honest but doesn't sound canned. Um, 
I, I've, I've often heard it repeated, the advice to young aspiring actors, that if you can do anything else and be happy and fulfilled, do it. Don't, you know, act, the, the life of an actor is incredibly challenging to make your living as an actor um, is, is hard for a lot of reasons that we won't get into here. Um, so if you can do anything else and be happy and fulfilled as a career, as a job to keep the roof over your head, then do that and just let acting be something that you do um, kind of as a side hustle. And I kind of feel that way about all of theater that I, I can't imagine being as sustainably fulfilled in the work doing anything else besides working in the theater. Um, and there are times when I wish I could because it's, it's, it's a heavy load, um, teaching and directing in particular, you know, it's, it's more the clothes you wear than something you pick up and put down. And that, that takes a toll, um, especially for me, and I think probably all theater teachers in particular are like this. I can't, you know, I, I can't do it a little bit. I can't, uh, leave, leave it at the door. I could, but I don't. I mean, and logistically I did. I never brought, I hardly ever brought papers home to grade. I, you know, I, I tried to do as little at home. I did all my work at work as much as possible, but mentally, emotionally, you know, I'd always have that, that, that voice in my head, that kid weighing on me that why can't I get him to engage or get her to behave or whatever the case may be. Um, so there are times where I wish, like, I wish I had just a simple job that like when, when the clock struck five, I could just leave it and come home. But at the end of the day, I know that I wouldn't be fulfilled. I wouldn't be gratified in that work. And this is work every, every time I close a show, every time I come to the end of a semester and say goodbye to a group of students, I just, it is just like, it makes it worth it. You know, um, the students that I stay in touch with that tell me, you know, that I, I get to see their work. I watched one of my students on stage last night. I got to see a live play last night. It was amazing. There were 25 people in the audience. We were all spread out from each other. But one of my students was on the stage. And I just could not have been more proud than if it was one of the kids I gave birth to. Um, you know, and so, and, and that's just that's why, because there's nowhere else that, that, that I fit and that fits me quite like working in the theater does. That's beautiful. And yeah, I agree. You have to, you have to love it because if you don't, it'll eat you up. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it'll eat you up even if you love it, but <laughs> loving it makes it worth it. You know, I've, I've, yeah, I've said this on a couple episodes. It's that this is the craziest thing for any of us to want to do. <laughs> <laughs> actors actors do the number Why do we keep doing this to ourselves <laughs> actors do the number one thing that people are afraid of right get up in front of talk and get up in front of people and talk to them mm -hmm. um and yeah it but at the end of the day i you know when when i was setting this up abby saw the background of my computer and was like oh that's a cute picture and it is and it's my picture of me as the tin man hugging this little girl 
but it means so much more. It, mm-hmm. It's the it's the picture that when I saw it, I decided I wanted to do theater. So, um, well, thank you for doing this podcast. Yeah, Thanks for coming on to uh, Standby Go. Um, it was fun to sit down and reminisce about stories of. A and long we time just, ago. I mean, we just hit the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah, we, yeah. We can we go can three more going. hours. If we to. But <laughs> as you can, time. but as you can probably hear, the quiches are done. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, uh, there may be a review on the quiches. So. Yeah, because yeah, I totally winged that recipe, FYI. They may not be very good. <laughs> so, uh, as always, thank you for listening to Standby Go. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and watch the video on YouTube. So, until next time. <laughs>